Welcome to Attention to Detail, the Classical Music Listening Guide, where we give you the tools to understand, appreciate, and enjoy listening to classical music. Hey, welcome back to Attention to Detail. It's Hannah Reffitt and Jacob Joyce. Hi, Jacob. Hey, Hannah. How's it going? Hot. It's finally summer. It is. It's it really warm here. Have you gone to the pool yet? Um, I've been trying to. We've been having like these really lengthy r- rainy spells. Yeah. And so now it's finally warm outside to go to the pool, and it work is v- very busy right now. Yeah. You'll 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 make time. We happen to live in the same apartment complex, yeah. so maybe I will see you at the pool. I'll see you at the pool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to dive right in, and today we're going to be continuing our uh, short series about listening to live performance. And in the last episode, we were joined by uh, two amazing guest colleagues at the ISO, Roger Rowe and Kent Cook. Thank you so much to them for coming. Um, and today we're going to be talking about musical decisions. Last week we talked about technical execution. Um, So Jacob, tell us a little bit of what this all means. So today our topic is going to be musical decisions. Uh, As you mentioned, we talked a little bit about technique in our last episode. And we also kind of introduced this whole series about listening to live performance in our last episode. And I think I briefly mentioned what the three categories we were going to talk about were. And so today we're on our second one, which is musical decisions. And when we're talking about musical decisions, I'm thinking about there's there's two different categories here. The the other one, which we'll maybe call artistry or something like that, we'll talk about in our next episode. But these both have to do with the non-technical aspects of music making. So the emotion that you bring to a performance, the, uh, this has to do with all of the information that is not explicitly contained on the score, what you do with that. So when we, we, you know, we think about technical execution, the best technical execution is somebody who can recreate everything on the score, mm-hmm. all the notes in exactly the right pitch, all that kind of stuff. Um, how fast you're supposed to play. But there's all this ambiguity in the score of what does this mean? How am I supposed to feel about this? And so that's where this musicianship comes in. And that will be our two categories for the next two episodes. Now, today's is more about these big musical decisions that you're supposed to make when you confront a score. And we could think about this somewhat as like an objective versus subjective Divide The musical decisions, the stuff that we're going to talk about today has a very objective element of you're, you're really sitting down, you're trying to figure out what the composer intended. The artistic side is, is a much more subjective one of how do I feel about this? Um, how do I feel in the moment? What am I going to do spontaneously in this, in this performance? Um, but, but today's episode is about making kind of objective musical decisions that's from the performance side and of course for our listeners it's how do we recognize what decisions have been made and how do we appreciate those how do those suggest meaning how do we evaluate a performance when we've when we've actually noticed these things so that's what we're going to dive into today so how do you want to go about breaking down the types of decisions that listeners are listening for Yeah, so I think there are a few big categories that we can think about when 
that you don't need to have any sort of real musical knowledge to be able to understand these categories, and there are things that we can actually listen for. And so the first and the biggest one that I want to highlight is the question. It's one of the most important questions that performers face when you start playing a piece mm. is the question of tempo or how fast or slow you choose to play a piece. You know, we think about music. Music is an art form that unfolds in time. And so one of the biggest technical and musical decisions that you can make is tempo. You know, mm -hmm. there's a limitation to, we talked about it last time, how fast you can actually play something mm -hmm. if it's especially difficult. But also the speed at which you choose to play something is, is very important. And I want to go through that and illustrate that a little bit. Now, it should be noted, composers give us varying levels of tempo indication. And so here is where the kind of musical decisions come into play. Some composers, like especially uh, composers from, from a long time ago, from, from earlier periods of classical music, Mozart, uh, Bach, they may give us one Italian word of allegro, which means yeah. fast, mm -hmm. or andante, which means kind of moderate. That's really all we have to go off of. Um, as things like a metronome, which keep, keeps time, and, and other tools like that have developed, composers, some composers have gotten much more specific, where they'll list a specific metronome marking. Nice. A composer yeah. like Bartok had they say he had perfect metronome, which means that he could he could tell you exactly how fast like 71 beats per minute was. And so he marks in his music very, very specific metronome markings and actual timings of this should take one minute and 32 seconds. And But even then, there's you'd think there's no room for a decision on the, the part of the performer, but there really is. Like, yeah. Depending on the hall that you're in, some things can feel faster and slower, depending on the ensemble that you're working with. And so I want to talk a little bit first about, about tempo. So I want to first play for you uh, a couple of clips of the same piece where performers have chosen two very, very different tempi. Excuse me, not composers, conductors. Mm. These are going to be orchestral clips. Um, and. Of course, the composer has written the same tempo, yeah. the same piece, but we, I want to see just how varied the choice of tempo can be. And mm -hmm. so I'm wondering, Hannah, you can do with us maybe like something similar to our mapping exercise, okay. which we did in our fourth episode. Just think about like a kind of, if we were going to make a room for this or a stop on our journey, what kind of ambiance is created? And let's see if those change it all based on okay. the tempo. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so here is here's the first clip.
All right, so give me uh, your impression of that clip. Uh, of course, you're well. You're going to hear another clip of that exact same piece in a sec. But yeah. what's what's your impression of that one? Um, so in the room making that I was instructed to yeah. do, um, the orchestra just performed the eighth movie of Harry Potter uh-huh. last weekend, and it was a phenomenal performance. But I immediately thought of like maybe I was in this long window full room and there was I was watching something fly on the other side of the window and it might have been like uh. a Harry Potter creature oh, or nice. something yeah. like that but there was always like this sense of peril behind yeah. that and it, it just sort of bit... takes off and floats and then you're just like sort of chasing it yeah yeah there's a separation I still felt it sounds a little bit now that you say that like a like someone flying on a broomstick. It sounds like a Quidditch game, yeah. almost. Yeah, but there's okay. no Quidditch in the eighth film, anyways. So that's good. One thing that you that I think kind of part of the suggestion there is it's feels very fast, yeah, quick moving. So here's here's the next clip. It will be very different. Okay. So, so that one significantly slower. It's astonishing how like different it is. Right. It, it sounds like doesn't it sound like a completely different piece? It's com- not completely different, of course, but just like the the visuals that I get from yeah. that are just completely different. So now, have you been white water rafting before? Yeah. It's like I was seeing that very much, huh. like very rowing movements and uh-huh. just going downstream, and it felt very journey like as huh. opposed to. The last one, which felt very um, climactic, like we're, we're reaching this um, perilous point. Now, in the one that we just heard, it felt more like serene in a way, and I think a lot the tempo has a lot to do with it. A huge, it has a huge amount to do with it. So, good, excellent. I want to do this. Uh, this is an important one, so I want to do one more example of this. This is a very um, famous piece that a lot of people will recognize this next one, but same thing. Try to imagine uh, what this is evoking for you. So for those of our listeners who don't actually know the name of that, that's Mozart's 40th symphony. Oh, but okay. very, you know, it, we've a lot of us have heard that melody You've before. You've heard it somewhere, yeah. yeah. So how about that one? Um, it feels fancy. Because, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Mozart, so it's yeah. got that airiness to it. Yeah. Um, so lots of women in dresses and like little petty fours and little pastries good, and it's good. a fancy looking room. Nice. Yeah. Okay, here's but lots here's, of movement going on. Yeah. yeah. Good, good. Now here's another one. Um 
same exact clip, okay. different tempo. So, again, we, we started fast. That one's much slower. That is much slower. In the sensicalness of, of listening, I suppose, uh, it, this one feels, because it is slower, maybe more sinister in a way. Like, there's more room for uh, d darkness. Yeah. And, and less room for... Um, it, the one before felt very youthful. Right, now, yeah. Now, this one feels like, okay, there's some some stuff going on yeah and i find that it's a much more tragic yeah take on the piece and you can hear it it's it's this very like it becomes this very lyrical sad piece as opposed to like you said i mean this is a minor piece you know we yeah. have major and minor yeah. minor is often much sadder yeah. tragic than, than major but i don't know that you or any of our listeners um if you're not listening for something like that, would have picked up on that in the fast tempo because, like you said, it feels very dance-like. It yeah. feels very... But here you really feel the tragedy you of do. the piece. And so hopefully that's... Hopefully in, in both of these cases, that's an illustration of... That's a massive decision that the conductor yeah. has to... Or the performers have to make here is... I mean, I tend to err on the side just personally of... The first clip of both of the ones that we've heard, faster oh, really? tempo. For example, this Mozart, the the tempo marking is molto allegro, which means very fast. Yeah. And so, I'm more inclined to to perform it very fast. But mm. but what we have to do is that's the only information we have. We don't have sad, tragic, dance like. Yeah. And so we have to make that decision. How fast do we take it? How much of is this piece about tragedy for me, yeah. or is it about? And so, and then it's up to the listener. Of course, the conductor makes their own personal best yeah. decision, and then it's up to the listener to say, "What did I get from that performance? Do I agree? Yeah. Do I get disagree?" Um, it's really what's mind blowing about being a conductor is like you are setting the feeling that the musicians are going to perform, and that the patrons are going to feel. In, yeah, in the in the case of orchestral music, that is, that's largely the case. But yeah. also, you know, we'll talk about it more on our next episode as well. When you play chamber music, you do the same thing. Yeah. The musicians themselves do the same thing. When you play a solo, of course, you do the yeah. same thing. And so it's it's any performer. You you have to make these decisions mm -hmm. and and they're decisions for, for the listeners because we're, we're performing for listeners. Now, next clip that I want to talk about is that we're not, we're not only discussing our tempo choice. We're also discussing, within the course of a performance, the tempo changes. Mm -hmm. And the tempo can change a lot. And so I also want to think about um, an element. In, in our next episode, we'll cover very small 
changes at the margins of tempo, which are often much more spontaneous. They can happen in the moment. But I want to discuss one other element, which is the strictness of tempo. Now, that's another thing that performance performers have to decide is, and it's, you have to do a lot of research. You have to try to find out what did the composer feel about this topic? How would they have played it? What were they intending? But you have to decide when Mozart writes molto allegro, when, when any composer writes any tempo mm. marking, do we keep the same tempo for the entire piece or do we allow it to change? There's very little information often given. And we know, actually, we have recordings of composers like Brahms and Mahler when, when recordings started being made mm. and of them playing, and they played with enormous amounts of change in tempo. Mm. And so, and that often feels natural. Themes or ideas that feel faster, you want to mm. go faster. But that's another decision we have to make is, do we change the tempo? Do we keep a strict tempo? And if we change the tempo, why are we doing that? Does it enhance something? So I want to play you two clips of, because uh, we're, we're still dealing with musical decisions, kind of large-scale objective ideas. Yeah. But here are two conductors again, because these are both orchestral clips, who have a very different approach of the strictness of tempo in, in, in this piece. So that's our, our, our first clip. This is, if our listeners can remember back to our fourth episode, this is, we actually listened to this clip already. This mm -hmm. is from Beethoven's first symphony. Yep. Um, there the conductor put, took a pretty standard, strict tempo. Yeah. You know, you can feel the, the rhythm, yeah. the pulse throughout. I'm going to, why don't I play the other one and then I'll ask you to compare the two. Okay. Just so we have, so we've heard that's, that's a, a more standard approach of maintaining the same tempo. Here's a conductor who, who has a different idea. Think about that one is crazy, right? It's I mean. a big. There's a big difference, but I it 
I almost started thinking about like, okay, that is a deliberate decision made by the conductor. It's almost a nice decision in a way where you can savor every note of yeah. this amazing piece. Yeah. Now, you never, I would assume, I've never been a conductor, nor will I ever be, but I feel like you could hurt a piece by making that decision, of course. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I liked the second one, but I preferred the first one. Okay, yeah. I mean, and again, that's like a, that is a choice that's up to each individual listener. It's, yeah. And it's, um, but it is, it makes a huge difference. And as you can see, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I lean towards the yeah. first one, but it's not as though the the second recording, um, he he just decided randomly. Yeah, I'm gonna go slower here. The the music suggests slowing down. It gets a little really? more lugubrious. That's what I think. I mean, if okay. if we broke it down and we did like a we looked at the score, is that what you mean? Well, or if we did our hearing ideas exercise and I had you add an adjective, um, Mm. some of the spots where he slows down feel a little more stuck in the mud, slow. And and so it's... Like they deserve to be. Yeah. 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 And and that's how performers are often motivated to make these decisions is, oh, oh, this is actually the adjective I would use here is, is... Tired, so yeah. I'm going to slow down a little bit. But again, that you can see, right, how that makes a huge difference in your understanding yeah. of the piece. I also was thinking of as a as a decision um, the loudness yes. of of certain parts. Yes, um, we will discuss that. Great, that can't wait. Upcoming because that is, in fact, that's a great. Uh, we didn't even set that up. I that's didn't even great, know that we were going to be talking yeah, about that this. Is, I am an excellent student. Yeah, this is our next category. <laughs> so we'll transition right into the next thing, with, which is loudness, or what we call dynamics. Now. Just like with tempo, composers can give us varying degrees of uh, dynamic information. Mm. You know, nobody that I know of has actually gone so far as to write a decibel level or something that you're supposed to perform. Because, of course, <laughs> composers, if you're not, if you're using an electric hookup, you could maybe do that, but, but performers can't actually do that. Yeah. But... Like tempo, composers have very differing ranges. We, in something like Mozart, the 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 most common terms that we use are piano and forte, which are Italian terms mm-hmm. that mean soft and loud. Um, Mozart will occasionally write a pianissimo, which is two p's extra soft, mm-hmm. or fortissimo, extra loud. Mm-hmm. Very rare. Um, a composer like Tchaikovsky writes five f's, <laughs> six p's. So, and everything in between. Mm -hmm. And so, in Tchaikovsky, we have a much more specific range. But even there, you know, there's so much ambiguity. Yeah. How loud is forte? How loud is loud? How soft is soft? And so that is a performance decision in and of itself. Yeah. Now, for the purposes of a podcast, unfortunately, we can't... uh, That depends on the volume of our listeners' headphones and all that. We we can't really illustrate the concept of objective loudness. Yeah. And then also I would say that it probably varies against composers, too. It does. Yeah. Yeah, it does, certainly. And so, but while we can't illustrate that objective concept of 
this is lou- actually louder than this, mm-hmm. or the performer is choosing to play this louder. That's something that listeners can listen to. You know, the extent to which a really soft moment is performed. Yeah. Is it really, really, really soft, yeah. or is it just kind of soft? And yeah. how does that change? Is it really, really, really loud? Is it like deafening, or is it that? That is something to look for. What we can illustrate over our electronic medium of podcast and through recordings is, and we should also note here that this is one of the benefits of going to live performance. You can't actually tell this loudness factor listening to a recording because you control the volume. That's one of the reasons why when you go to a live performance, like you can make any recording super soft. You You just turn the volume down. In a live performance, there are these special moments where they can play incredibly softly and everyone's hearing the exact same volume. But back to what we can illustrate, we can illustrate balance, which is something that is also how you choose to relate the dynamics of multiple instruments to each other. A huge part of your job. That's a huge part of my job as the associate conductor yeah. <laughs> because a lot of my job is spent sitting in the audience listening to balance. Mm. So here is an example of two clips where it's it's balanced somewhat differently. And I want you to listen to the sound quality of the melody here and let me know if, if you feel any differently about this melody. Okay. So let me play the other one too, and you okay. can compare them. As you heard, this is a melody played by two instruments an oboe and a solo cello. So they're playing that together. Um, and I'd venture to guess the oboe is the one that sounds a little more duck like. It's the woodwind instrument. You've yeah. probably heard that one much more than the cello yeah. in that clip. Um, I'll play the other one and then we'll we'll talk about it. It's okay. a subtle thing that we're listening for here, but here's the other clip. So in that one, did you did you hear the cello a little bit more in that one? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, you helped me in pointing it right, out, right. but the first one I couldn't really figure out like what all like what instruments were going on. They right. just definitely felt merged together, which is like really cool yeah. when you think about it. But that's that's probably primarily because the conductor seemed or the players seemed to decide there the oboe is the primary voice mm. everything else is accompanimental is yeah. yeah okay the second one it's really a duet in a in a sense. duet yeah. a duality of of color and so did you did it change the color at all did it, i mean did you yeah um definitely it felt like there was more char- characteristics in the second one it felt mm-hmm. more 
two individuals in a way yeah. because it's a duet. Now, the first one, um, it, I couldn't I couldn't wrap my head around it. It felt graspable in a sense of volume. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it sort of went over my head to be honest. Well, um, but that's so that's yet another decision that. In this case, the conductor has to make. But but again, the same thing mm. in, in chamber music. You have a quartet. You have yeah. to decide who's the primary voice. Yeah. Are we supporting one person, or is this really all four of us mm. at this moment? And it changes the color. Now, in this particular piece, this is Schumann's fourth symphony, second movement, the oboe and the cello are both marked piano, mm. soft, ausdrucksvoll, which means kind of passionate, emotional. That's that's okay. the that's the marking that they give. Cool. So we see that and are they supposed to be the same volume? I don't know. You don't know. This is a type of solo uh, that would be more expected maybe for an oboe than a cello. Yeah. And it's weird to have that pairing of instruments. It so is. so we'd wonder like is this an oboe solo with cello accompaniment? They both have the same marking. Um, so when you're making that decision, do you go back like historically on how something has been recorded and what it's just been performed like in the past? So recordings can play a big role. Yeah. If, if you trust the interpreter on those recordings, mm-hmm. you certainly, and this is something that I would encourage our listeners to do as well, you want to do as much research as you can. Yeah. Know as much about the composers. So if you really, if you meet classical music buffs, they'll yeah. come up and tell you like, this person didn't understand <laughs> Schumann at all. You know, Schumann was, uh, he loved the cello, and so why would you even highlight the oboe there? The cello is so important. Yeah. It, you know, the, if you've done, you do as much research as you possibly can into mm-hmm. performance styles of of the time. Schumann's color palette to try to figure out what did he mean by that and how am I going to perform that. Mm. And then for the listener, you can do as much of sit back and just appreciate the color that this performance is creating or do I agree with that? Do I I not agree with that? That's all up up to the listener. Cool. So last thing I want to discuss in terms of, and there are certainly more categories, more things that we could discuss, but I want to briefly also discuss the idea of what we call articulation in music, which is the length of notes or shortness, yeah. the, like in speech, yeah. how articulate you are, and kind of the, related to that, what, what characters or, uh, it's not really emotions, but it's kind of uh, personalities, yeah. the music is we're electing to create in the person in the in the music because um, again we we get music but we don't know often the articulation is not super specified how long exactly do you play this note yeah um, and so it's up to us to say like oh this this one's shorter this one's longer how does that change stuff um, what what character am I trying to achieve here mm. so let me play you uh, Let's do like we did with the first one. Okay. I'm going to play you uh, one clip, give me a little room reaction, then we'll play the next one. Sweet.
All right, give me a quick uh, ambiance, character, oh, room yeah. style. Um, so we're in a quaint little park, and everyone's walking dogs, and it's like huh. pulling back on the leashes, and then... I like that. Yeah. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. So here's the next one. Keep, remember, we're here we're specifically listening for kind of character. Okay. Yeah. So here's the next one. Any different on, on that one? Yeah, so definitely it felt more refined and even more serene in yes, a way. Yes, excellent, excellent. Yeah. I For me, I, I agree. It's the, the big difference in this clip is that the first one, hopefully it sounds yeah. like you caught on to it. Even in this... Uh, opening of this passage it's it's more peppy it's yeah you know, ba -da -ba -da. the first one felt very like they were really sustaining themselves yeah like long lengthy holes, yeah especially in the strings right especially. yeah exactly and this one is much more placid yeah. it's like th there's a long way to go and this is just the very start mm. i'm partial to the second one because yeah, it's like a recording yeah. it's a recording by my teacher oh is it really it is it, he will well you have to be in favor of, of course no but, but <laughs> Fantastic conductor. He uh, and it's actually with uh, say your teacher's name again. Q Wolf. Q Wolf. With um, with the New England Conservatory nice. Orchestra where I went to school. So, got a rep. Yeah, got a rep. Great playing by them. So again, that's another thing that we can listen for. And there's there's a lot to delve in there um, in terms of the articulation mm. character that uh, the performers are uh, elect to highlight yeah. make make those decisions so those are our three categories that i particularly wanted to highlight tempo dynamics and and articulation characters nice so for newcomers how do you suggest even breaking all that down that's three things to juggle some people might not be super familiar with musical terms or even the piece that they're listening to what do you suggest exactly well i think the, the toughest thing about this is that it, it really does, it requires um, some knowledge of the piece yeah. before you come. Yep. Because you're trying to evaluate, like, if you don't know how the piece is normally performed, yeah. you have no concept of, well, did they choose to go faster or slower? Yeah. The encouragement is first to remember that the reason why we started with listening to the music itself mm -hmm. is that that is what we need to start with. We, we want to, you know, if, if it's your first time hearing a piece, listen to yeah. the piece. Yeah. Do our techniques, hearing ideas, grouping, mapping, all that kind of stuff. If once you've become somewhat familiar with a piece, you can start transitioning towards listening to these decisions. So I will tell you, 
for a piece that I am hearing for the first time, I usually, it's about 90%, 10% listening to the music itself versus listening to the performance. Really? Because I don't really, there's not that much that I actually know about that I can evaluate the performance on. Now, being like, Immersed in this world, yeah. I can do it a little bit, but but that's but that's not easy. Now, when I've heard a piece a hundred times, yeah. like a lot, you know, I've I've heard Beethoven's all of Beethoven's symphonies at least fifty times. Yep. Um, I'm listening probably ninety percent to the performance. Yeah. Because of course I I know the piece. I've I've analyzed it. I've thought about it a mm. lot. So. Getting to that point is like so rewarding too. Yeah, well, yeah. and it and it makes the fiftieth time just as interesting as the first yeah. time because you're you're listening to something different, but but you are you're listening to the performance. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the first thing is to start with the music, but then, and even beginners can do this. Try to familiarize yourself with what you're going to hear. So if you're able to see the program before you go to a show. Uh, Try to listen to a couple of the pieces. Maybe listen to two or three different recordings so that you get a sense of what to expect. That'll make it much easier. If you want to read the program notes, if you want to read a little bit about the composers you're going to hear, that will also really help. And it's it's about building, just like listening to, to music itself, and we talked about this in our earlier episodes, you have to build this practice for yourself. So as you become more familiar with pieces, you'll be get better and better at doing this. But it's something that you can kind of tune your attention towards even at the beginning you know if, if you just if you just listen to a, a little bit of a piece once or twice before you go to the concert it'll be a much more edifying process yeah. because you'll you'll get some of the music but you'll also get some of the performance yeah. so that is my recommendation it's it's not easy but try to familiarize yourself with what you're going to hear and that way you'll you'll be primed to to listen to these things Awesome. So that's where we're going to wrap it up today. Uh, make sure to catch us on our next episode. We're going to be talking about artistry, which will be the third episode in this small series of listening to live performances. Awesome. See you soon. Bye. For more information about this podcast, you can find us at attentiontodetailpod.com, where you'll find a list of techniques presented in these episodes and a two-week program for starting your own listening practice. You can also find us on all of your favorite social media channels. We encourage you to follow us, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and if you enjoy the show, please give us a rating. We hope to see you soon at a concert.